He's the same God. In Genesis 45, where we are today, he's the same God there, the same God that he is here today. And today out of Genesis chapter 45, I believe what the Lord has to say to us today is, what, what do we need to know? What do we need to remember when we are in a situation in life that's just not making any sense? You ever been there? Life is crazy, right? And things will happen, and it just doesn't make any sense to us. And what are we supposed to do? So let me get you caught up. We've been in the story of Joseph now for eight or nine weeks or so. And you may remember that Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. And his brothers hated him, and they were jealous, and they threw him in a pit. They sold him as a slave into Egypt. He gets elevated into a wonderful position in Potiphar's house. Then he's framed for a crime that he didn't commit. He ends up going to prison, and then eventually he is remembered and brought forward out before Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh ends up putting him basically in charge of the entire nation just in time because, as Joseph had told him, a famine is coming, and God had given Joseph the ability and the wisdom to know how to deal with that and manage that and oversee that. And what God was putting in place there is he had sent Joseph ahead. He was working through the sorrow. He was working through the betrayal. He was even working through sin. See, sin doesn't stop the work of God. God will take hold of that and he will redeem it and use it for his purposes within his sovereign plan. And so God has sent Joseph ahead of his brothers to save his family to save what will be the nation of Israel, the people group through which God had promised to send the Messiah into the world so that those people through him would be a light to the nations. And so as we get to Genesis chapter 45 today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And you may remember that Joseph's brothers had come to get food for the second time. They brought their, their youngest brother, Benjamin, with them. And Joseph had brought them into his house. He's feeding them from his table. He, he tests them one more time, and they pass the loyalty test. They come back, and they're standing there before Joseph, and he breaks down. He loses it. He's just weeping, and he reveals his identity to them that I am your brother Joseph. Through a series of tests, he had been seeking to determine, can there be a relationship here? Long ago, he had forgiven them. But, but he needed to know, are these men different? Are they changed? Can we reconcile and, and, and be brothers again? And through those series of tests, Jacob has discerned, or Joseph has discerned that they have changed and they are different. And we pick up where we left off, chapter 45, verse 16. It says, the news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. The news that Joseph's brothers are here. They've not seen each other in 20 years, right? Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, this is what you must do. Load your pack animals and hurry back to the land of Canaan. Then get your father and all of your families and return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt and you will eat from the best that the land produces." Kind of reminds you of the Beverly Hillbillies a little bit, right? Something amazing here is happening. These poor, hungry, begging, Bedouin shepherds are moving on up to a deluxe apartment. Okay, that's a different show altogether. That's the Jeffersons, but you know what I mean. So then Pharaoh, verse 19, said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, 
Take wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children and your wives and bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. You don't have to pack your suitcase. You don't have to box any stuff up. Just leave it because you're not going to need that stuff. The very best that we have is going to be yours. Think about that. God's people got the best that Egypt had to offer on their way into Egypt. And 400 years later, they're going to get the best that Egypt has to offer on their way out of Egypt. How good is God? How faithful is God to his people? Look at verse 21. So the sons of Jacob did as they were told. Joseph provided them with wagons as Pharaoh had commanded, and he gave them supplies for the journey. And he gave each of them new clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave five changes of clothes and 300 pieces of silver. He also sent his father 10 male donkeys loaded with the finest products of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other supplies that he would need on his journey. So Joseph sent his brothers off, and as they left, he called after them, don't quarrel about all this on the way. Ha <laughs> Little jab on the brothers right there. Do you get that? I kind of think he might have said, hey, don't throw in anybody in the pit. All right, how about that? And they left Egypt and returned to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And this is going to bring them to a place where they've got to have a really awkward conversation with their dad. A conversation with their dad that not only is going to be a difficult conversation to have with dad, but nearly a deadly conversation that they have to have with their father, who's now 130 years old. Imagine this. They get back to their dad. Dad, hey, we got great news. Joseph is alive. No, he is. And you're not going to believe this, but he's actually the vice president of Egypt. Yeah, yeah, dad. So, yeah, see, see that what had happened was <laughs> for 20 years, they've been leading him to believe that Joseph was dead. That's going to be a tough conversation to have to own up to this to their father after all this time. So, so today, what I want to do is, I know we've been focusing in on Joseph, but I, I think the, the channel kind of changes a little bit today, and the focus is on his father, Jacob. And I think it would be important for us to put our attention on Jacob for a moment this morning and to walk a little while in his sandals through a crazy set of circumstances that he's now going through. Suddenly, this has all happened, and it's a whirlwind, and it's not making a whole lot of sense to him. And as we walk with him through that, maybe we can take something away from this. What do we need to do when our circumstances get crazy? What do we need to do when life isn't making sense for us either? Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're walking through a challenging set of circumstances today. Some things happening in your life, in your world, you didn't plan it, you didn't see it coming, but here it is. When life doesn't make sense, here's what I want to say to you today. As Christ followers, there's five things I think that we can take from this passage today that we can do. When life doesn't make sense, Christ followers can be assured of these five things. Number one is this. Remember, life will rock you. It will. Boom, 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 boom. 
Life will, life will rock you. Can I get an amen? amen? It just does, right? It's going to rock us. Nobody gets out of that. It's going to happen. Don't think it won't. Jacob gets rocked here today by this news. Verse 26, Joseph is still alive, they told him, and he is governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned. Stunned. You know what that feels like. Didn't see this coming. This wasn't the news I expected today. Stunned at the news. He could not believe it. Couldn't get his brain around it. Stunned. Some commentators speculate that Jacob actually maybe has a heart attack here. That maybe he even passes out. You'll see in a moment why they think that could have been the case. But it was too much. It was too much for him to take in all at once. You know, life's going to do that to you. Life's going to rock you sometimes. It's going to throw too much at you that you will feel like you can't take it all in at that moment. It might be that life rocks you in a good way. It might be that life throws so much good at you all at one time, you can't hardly stand it. That happened to Pastor Rick and Miss Jeannie. I don't know if they're in this hour or not, but just the other day they are right up there. Yeah, Sharon's up there with them today, right? Hey, Sharon, welcome. Glad you're here. June 16th is Pastor Rick's birthday. He just turned 76 years old. He looks pretty good, doesn't he, for 76? Look, I'm just kidding. He's not that old. But he had an incredible birthday because on his birthday, their granddaughter officially, legally, through the miracle of adoption, became their granddaughter. She already was in their hearts, but now it's just, you know, before the government, that's the way it is. And that was on Rick's birthday. Pretty amazing. Father's Day, just three days later. And I was standing out there talking to Jeannie, Rick's wife, last Sunday, and she was telling me that she just wasn't really prepared for how overwhelming that day was going to be. Life sort of rocked her and Rick and their family that day in an incredible way. Those kinds of moments are the ones that we love, right? We, we want life to rock us like that. But more times than not, it's not that we're rocked in that good way. We're rocked in a difficult way with news that isn't so good. And sometimes it seems like it's just one wave after another of bad after bad of shock and awe again and again. And we feel like we just can't catch a break. Maybe that's where you are as you sit here today. I, I, I don't want to look at another text message. I don't want to answer another phone call because everyone I seem to look at, everything I seem to listen to right now, it's just another wave of bad news that's crashing down on me. If that's where you are today, let me remind you what Paul says in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 8. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And that leads us to the second thing I think as Christ followers, we need to remember when life's not making sense. Second thing is this, hope will revive you. Hope will revive you. Life will rock you. Hope will revive you. Chapter 45, verse 27 says, but when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits revived. 
He, he, maybe he had fainted. Maybe he had had a heart attack. He was stunned. He couldn't take all of this in. But now the hope that he sees in front of him has caused him to revive. How many of you today could benefit from a revival that hit you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? Yes, I need that kind of revival in my life. And that's what happens to Jacob here in this moment. Verse 28, then Jacob exclaimed, it must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before I die. Joseph looks out the window, Jacob looks out the window rather, and he sees this procession of black presidential escalades, tinted windows, Egyptian flag flying around off the antennas like that. And his spirit is revived. He's revived by hope. The whole time his sons were in Egypt, hope was hard to hold on to. What if they don't come back? If they don't come back, that means that they probably have been killed. And if they don't come back, we don't have any food. And me and my daughter-in-laws and my grandchildren, we're going to die of starvation. Hope had probably been hard to hold on to. They had been gone longer than Jacob had expected them to be gone, and they were down to their last crumbs of food. But hope, hope shows up just in time. You've been there too, right? At just the right moment, hope arrives, and Jacob's spirit is revived. All of a sudden, the life comes back to him. The color comes back in his face. The blood starts moving. He's feeling younger. He's got this energy. He starts making travel plans. He starts reworking his bucket list. I'm going to go to Egypt, and I'm going to see my son, Joseph. And here's what I want to ask you today. Would you just pause for a minute? Those of you who feel like you are struggling to find any hope in your life today, would you just stop for a minute and look out the window of your life? Look a little further than you've been looking. Look a little longer out there than you've been looking. Stand there a little more intently than you stood there before and tell me if you don't see hope coming in your direction. I bet if you'll stand there and you'll look long enough, you'll find some hope. Hope is on the way for the people of God and hope revives us. Look a little longer today. How do you see hope showing up? How do you see the, the grace of God showing up? How do you see the provision of God showing up? How do you see God caring for you? It's coming. Hope is coming. In this crazy world, when life doesn't make sense, what do we need to do? We need to remember that life's going to rock us. It's going it's to happen. Hope is going to revive us. Number three, worship will reassure you. Worship will reassure you. So the whole family, all of Jacob's family, they, they leave all their stuff behind. They just close the door. I don't know if they close the door. Like we're not, we don't even care. And they all load up on the, the black escalades out there. And, and, and they get ready to go on this journey to Egypt. And I think the further that Jacob gets from home, the bigger the doubts are that creep into his mind, that creep into his heart. 
as he looks from the side mirror backwards and sees all of that just fading in the background, his fears begin to probably set in. He begins to think these kinds of questions. What if this is the wrong thing to do? What if I'm not supposed to be going to Egypt? What if God wants us to stay in Canaan? And what about the promises God made to my father and my grandfather, Abraham, about this place, about this land? I'm sure that Jacob is thinking, but what about what God told my dad, Isaac? Maybe you don't know what he told his dad, Isaac. I'll tell you, I'll read it to you. Genesis chapter 26. Sounds familiar, actually. Genesis 26, this is dealing with Jacob's father, Isaac. A severe famine now struck the land, as had happened before in Abraham's time. So famine to Abraham, famine to Isaac, famine to Jacob, right? So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I'll be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's the promise of the Messiah is coming through your family and going to bless all the nations. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Jacob's got to be thinking about what God had told his dad. He's got to be thinking, what if I do this and I mess up God's plan? I know some of y'all think that way. I've heard that come out of our mouths. What if I do this and I, I mess God up? I mess up the plan of God. Jacob's got to be thinking, maybe I need to turn around. We need to go back. Maybe I'm not trusting God enough to meet my needs there in Canaan. Maybe this is a lack of faith on my part to go to Egypt. And as I've told you before, Jacob has had this ongoing tendency to only look at life horizontally. He has struggled historically to look at life vertically through the eyes of heaven, through the eyes of God, to try to understand what God is doing in his world. But this time... It's different. This time, Jacob stops looking horizontally and he starts to look vertically. And he has the caravan of the Cadillacs to stop. And he has them to stop so he can do this, so he can worship God. Y'all got to pull over. Before we go any further, I need to spend some time with God. Listen, church, let me say this. When you don't know what to do, when you're filled with worry, stop and worship God. You can't worry and worship at the same time. So slam the brakes on the worry and begin to worship the Lord instead. Lift your eyes up to where your help comes from. The maker of heaven and earth. Worship is the antidote to worry. Come on. Adoration of God is the antidote to anxiety. Chapter 46, verse 1. So Jacob set out for Egypt with all his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, 
he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. He stops at Beersheba. I think for a couple of reasons. One is this. You probably are all totally aware of geography in the Middle East, so uh, you don't need me to tell you this. But Beersheba, I wouldn't have known this off the top of my head either. Beersheba is really the last stop in the promised land before you get into no man's land, until you get to the wilderness, to the desert. This is the boundary of the promised land. Oftentimes the Old Testament, there's this phrase that says, from Dan to Beersheba. That means from border to border. It was kind of describing the borders of the promised land that way. So they get to Beersheba. This means that if, if Jacob goes any further, he will have gone further than his dad ever went. He's going to uncharted places here. His next step is going to take him into a land that his father had been explicitly told by God, don't go there. So this is a fateful, fateful moment for Jacob here. But I think the main reason he stops at Beersheba is he remembered hearing his dad talk about the time he met with God at Beersheba. He remembered hearing his granddaddy talk about the time that his granddaddy met with God at Beersheba. Beersheba had been a place of worship for his family. It had been a place where they had historically encountered the Lord. And so Jacob is desperate to do just that. He's desperate to encounter the Lord. He needs to hear from the Lord. Is this the thing, God, that you would have me to do? Or is it not? And so he's calling out to the Lord in Beersheba. He's making sacrifices to the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord. He is waiting to hear from God. He's waiting on the Lord. He's chosen to seek after God. One minute, logic tells him, Bubba, if you want to live, you better get to Egypt. And the next minute, logic says to him, but if you want to honor God and do what he told your daddy to do, you better not go to Egypt. Jacob's followed logic before, but on this night, he wants to follow the Lord not only logic. Look at verse two. During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. You know, Jacob, just, I just think he was thinking, God, I knew you'd show up. I haven't been faithful, but you, you're always faithful. I knew you'd show up. How many times do we not show up to God where we're supposed to be, but he always shows up for us where we need him to be. Verse three, I am God, the God of your father, the voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. In this moment of worship in Beersheba, God just told Jacob five things. He just said, hey, Jacob, I'm God. Don't be afraid to go where I'm telling you to go. My purposes are in front of you in Egypt. I'm going to go there with you. And when you get there, you're going to die, but that's not the end of your story. Can I ask you this morning, how are you going about making decisions today? Some of you had some decisions to make last week. Some of you got a lot of decisions in front of you today, tomorrow, throughout this week. How are you going about making those decisions? Employing your logic, your experience, 
talking to your, your friends and your buddies and all that kind of stuff? How are you going about making those decisions? Listen, if you're looking for direction today, if you're looking for peace within a decision today, look to the Lord. Not to logic alone. Look up in worship. Replace your worry with worship. Adoration in the place of anxiety. Worship will reassure you. In this life, when it doesn't make sense and your circumstances get crazy, what do you do? Remember, life's going to rock you. Hope's going to revive you. Worship will reassure you. And number four, regrets will release you. Regrets will release you. Look at chapter 46, verse 5. So Jacob left Beersheba. And his sons took him to Egypt. They carried him and their little ones and their wives in the wagons Pharaoh had provided for them. They also took all their livestock and all the personal belongings they had acquired in the land of Canaan. They just couldn't leave it behind. So Jacob and his entire family went to Egypt, sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters, all his descendants. We're told in verse 27, there's actually about 70 family members that get to Egypt. And yet somehow in the next 400 years, God's going to fulfill his promise to Abraham and he's going to turn them into a vast multitude that can't even be counted. A couple of million people are going to flourish in that nation in the next 400 years. The Messiah is going to come through them. Chapter 46, verse 28, as they neared their destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph and get directions to the region of Goshen. And when they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. If you've been here all these weeks, you know this is a climactic moment in the story, right? And when Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and he wept, holding him for a long time. Some of you, your father has maybe been with the Lord for 20 years, for a long time maybe, and, and, and you haven't seen him. Can you imagine if you had the opportunity to see him today in this room, what that moment would be like, what that embrace would be like, the tears of joy that would flow? How long would it take you to catch your breath, right? And this is what Joseph is experiencing and Jacob is experiencing in this moment. Verse 30, finally, Jacob said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I've seen your face again and I know that you're still alive. Listen, Jacob was a man that had plenty of regrets. He had a lot to regret. He cheated his own brother he deceived his own father. He had a bunch of children by a bunch of different women. He had questionable parenting skills, to say the least. But now, by God's grace, all that's behind him. It's all behind him. It's all in the past now. God has been faithful to him. God has been good to him. God has been kind to him. God has been gracious to him. And now he finds peace with God in the grace of God. And he says, now I'm ready to die. Regrets have now released him. He says, I've learned what I've needed to learn. I've been forgiven for what I need to be forgiven for. And God has shown me just how good 
He is. God has shown me just how faithful he is. And all of Jacob's regrets are released. And for the first time in his long, long life, he has peace in the depths of his soul. And he says, God, I'm, I'm ready to die now. I'm good. Listen, only God can do that for somebody, can give you that kind of re- release from your regrets. And he'll do that for you today. He'll release you from your regrets today if you'll just simply keep walking and keep believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's done for you what he has said in his word that he has done, that he took all your failures and all your sin and all your shame and all your regrets to the cross and he nailed them there. They're no longer nailed to you. He's released you. Maybe you just need to release yourself today from those regrets in your life. See, in this crazy world, Christ followers, what do you do when life doesn't make sense? Life's gonna rock you, hope's gonna revive you, worship's gonna reassure you, regrets will release you. And number five, remember this, God's favor rests on you. When life doesn't make sense, child of God, if you're not a child of God, I'm not talking to you, I'm glad you're here, but I'm talking to the saved, people who've trusted Christ today. If you've trusted Christ, when life doesn't make sense to you, remember this, God's favor Rest on you, not because of who you are alone, but because of who you are in Christ. Because of what Christ has made you to be through his finished work at the cross. His favor rests on you. Remember that. Look at chapter 47, verse 7. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. Imagine this scene, right? Here's like the most powerful man in the most stunning country on the face of the planet at that time. And this 130-year-old broken down, nearly starved to death, Bedouin shepherd is brought into the palace to stand before the Pharaoh and watch what happens. I think what happens is not what you would expect is going to happen if you're watching this scene play out. The next words say, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Here stands a broken down old shepherd that doesn't even have enough food to feed his own family. You would think that a man like that standing right there in front of arguably the most powerful man on the planet, you would think he might be a little bit intimidated in that moment, but he's not. His heart is steady. He does not bat an eye before Pharaoh. The Bible says that he blessed Pharaoh. Imagine he lifts those shaky, shriveled up arms of his and he pronounces a blessing over Pharaoh. This is not merely an act of politeness. Jacob sees Pharaoh as the one in need and not the other way around. See, Pharaoh may be the leader of the most powerful and greatest country on the planet, but he's lacking something that that old man has. God's favor, the favor of God. Jacob knows that even with all of his failures, the hand of God is still on him. The favor of God is still on him. God had chosen him to be the leader of his people the people through which the Messiah would come into the world. Jacob has the favor of God on him. He's broke as a skunk, 
old as dirt and weaker than water. But Jacob has something far greater than anything this world has to offer. He has a relationship with Almighty God. And as he stands before Pharaoh, he sees a man that is lost. He sees a man that is spiritually bankrupt. He sees a man that is headed toward a sinner's hell for all of eternity. And Jacob lifts his hands to bless Pharaoh. Listen, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, the richest man on the planet is poor. Jacob knows this. He knows that he has more to bless Pharaoh with than Pharaoh has to bless him with. And so he stands there as the blesser. Pharaoh says to him in verse 8, how old are you? Jacob replied, I've traveled this earth for 130 hard years, but my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. And then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again, again, double portion before leaving his court. Listen, if you're a born again child of God today, can you just pause for a minute and think about how blessed you are? Just let that sink in for a minute because maybe you've lost sight of that this week. Maybe you've not had the right perspective recently of how blessed you are to be a child of God, a child of the King. You've been chosen by God. You've been forgiven by God. You are indwelt right now by the Spirit of God. He has tapped you to be his representative, his ambassador on this planet. The favor of God, the blessing of God, the riches of God, the grace of God is on you today. It's on you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's yours because of Jesus and what he's done at the cross for you. This life is insane. But child of God, there is no reason for you or I to be intimidated in this life. When we stand before the powerful, when we stand before the politicians, when we stand before the intellectuals, when we stand before the wealthy, when we stand before the celebrities, when we stand before the loudest voices in mainstream media or social media, they don't have anything you need. If they have something you need, God would have already given it to you because he's promised to supply all your needs according to his riches in Jesus. If they have all this world has to offer, but they don't have Christ, they need who you have. What if we saw everybody that way, not just the big wigs in the world, but we saw everybody that way. What if we live with the realization of what I have in Christ is what they need? And I want to share it. I, I want to bless them. 
I want to point them to that. I want to pray that over them that they would have who I have. That's what Jacob wants. That's what he's doing here with Pharaoh. He is pointing out to Pharaoh that there's something you don't have, big guy, that I have. And this old man wants so desperately for you to know the one that I know, to have the favor of God on you. You don't know God. You think you are God, but you're not God. And I want you to know God. He wanted Pharaoh to know that there's only one God. He wanted Pharaoh to know him and to worship him and to be blessed by him. And I hope, I pray, Grace Life, that we would begin to see people that way. I know they may sound loud and confident and boisterous or maybe not, but I'm telling you, they don't have what you have. The favor of God through the Son of God. A relationship with Almighty God himself. Jacob would tell us today, the people of God right here, he would tell us, hey, listen, when it doesn't make sense and when you find yourself in the middle of a crazy set of circumstances. Just do this. Remember, life's going to rock you, but hope will revive you. Keep looking out that window. Hope's on the way. Worship is going to reassure you. Look for the Lord. Be still and know, sit and wait on him. Regrets will release you, and God's favor rests on you. Remember that. In your crazy set of circumstances you may be in today, I pray the principles of God's word from today, he would use that in your life today. And look for that opportunity that you get to bless somebody else with the truth of who Jesus is. People are hungry to know him. Our world is desperate for answers. Our world's desperate for truth. Our world's desperate for salvation. They're buying a lie that it's in this and that and this and that and this and that. And they're angry and they're frustrated and they're discombobulated and they're confused. And we sit here like that old man. We might not look like much, but we got everything we need. We might not be the most impressive people, but greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And may we stand with a heart of compassion like Jacob and say, I want you to know him too. You're not my enemy. I'm not against you. I'm for you. I want you to know him. God, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would work through your word to bless and encourage your people with your truth. Our world is crazy and our lives are crazy and our circumstances, God, are sometimes more than we know what to do with. But God, we today look to you. God, I pray that this morning, this place, this room would be for us our Beersheba, our place where we would have an encounter with the living God. We don't have to make a sacrifice here because Jesus has already made the sacrifice for us so that access to the throne of God is available to us right now in this moment. So God, I pray that we would walk in that. We would come before you today, that we would look to heaven. That is the only place our help is gonna come from that we would hold tightly to you, that we would hold loosely to the treasures of this world. Pharaoh had it all. It doesn't matter. Jacob had nothing. And today he has everything. Give us the right perspective today as your people, God. 
And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name.